I think there can be a tendency to just throw up your hands and say, there's just a lot of junk out there. How can we just clamp down on all of this speech full stop and, and just try to deal with it when I think that that would be a mistake. But there are targeted regulations that can really help. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Join host Sanjay Puri as he explores the dynamic and developing world of artificial intelligence governance. Each episode features deep dives with global leaders at the forefront of regulating AI responsibly, tackling the challenges using AI can bring about head-on and enabling balance without hindering innovation. Welcome to the Regulating AI podcast. Artificial intelligence stands at the forefront of technological evolution. With experts predicting that it could add trillions of dollars to our GDP, but it could also negatively impact our workforce and national security. So how do we regulate it without stifling innovation? Our podcast features insights from various perspectives, from industry leaders and government officials to advocacy groups. Together, they address pivotal questions that are needed to create practical legislation. I'm very excited to have Isha Bhandari with us today. She is the Deputy Project Director of the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union. She focuses on AI and civil liberties. I invited her on the show as it is very important to get the views of civil liberties organizations as we build regulation and legislation on AI. Welcome, Isha. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on the Regulating AI podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Isha, on October 30th, President Biden announced a sweeping executive order on AI. Wanted to get your feedback on it as to what do you think about it? The AIEO that President Biden issued was a significant step forward. Really took a whole of government approach to look at AI and, and specifically government uses of AI and centered civil liberties and civil rights principles in the executive order itself. And that's something that advocates, including those of us at the ACLU, had been calling for several years. So it's heartening to see that the concerns of civil liberties and civil rights um, are at the forefront of the executive order. There's still work to be done. The executive order, for example, exempts national security contexts from its coverage, and a lot of law enforcement use of AI is also not included within the coverage. And Law enforcement and national security uses of AI have the greatest impact on individuals' lives when it comes to federal government uses of AI, which is why we think it's very important that the government take this approach of including national security and law enforcement. And, you know, guidelines and recommendations and principles can be applied in context in case-specific uses, but there shouldn't be a wholesale exemption. So what you're saying is you're worried about national security and law enforcement, but that can be taken up in legislation also, right, Disha? Certainly can be taken up in legislation, but while we wait for legislation, it's within the government's power. It can currently apply those principles to its own use. And again, this executive order is focused on government use, government funding of AI, which is why it's both very significant, but it doesn't regulate outside parties in the same way. There's no reason for the administration to wait. It could apply those principles tomorrow. Okay. So what you're saying is that should be included in there. So following that point, where do you see the biggest risk to civil liberties from artificial intelligence? Because that's been a topic du jour in Washington, Brussels, and others. So walk us, as ACLU is one of the leading uh, civil liberties organizations in the country, 
So tell us where do you see the biggest challenges? I would say the biggest challenges are in instances where AI directly affects people's rights. And those are numerous. So I'll just give, you know, the law enforcement national security context. You've got AI that can be making decisions on whether people are placed on watch lists, whether they're subject to surveillance or investigation by law enforcement. Those clearly have an impact on people's rights and liberties, right? Because if you're ensnared in the law enforcement or national security system, that impacts your liberty. But there are other contexts as well, which are a high priority for us. Housing, employment, discrimination in in receiving financial services, all of those decisions that are made increasingly through automated systems create the risk of entrenching biases that we already have. So if you're part of a group that already struggles, for example, to access housing or struggles to be employed, if the federal government or private employers are using tools that don't examine those biases, that replicate those biases, that rely on data that replicates those biases, all we're going to do is re-entrench inequality in society. And again, those have real-world consequences for people. If you don't get a job because an AI tool screened you out and you have no insight into why it screened you out, you don't even have a chance to make your case for maybe the AI tool got something wrong, that, that has a real impact on people's lives. So it's got multifold challenges in terms of civil liberties is what you're saying. So Isha, do civil rights laws need to change or evolve to effectively regulate AI systems in your view? That is a great question. And that is a question that is much discussed in, in civil society right now. I would say that existing civil rights laws actually constrain a lot more uses of AI than people realize. There are anti-discrimination laws that apply in housing and employment contexts where simply because you're using an automated tool to effectuate the discrimination doesn't mean that it doesn't run afoul of those laws. And similarly, we have constitutional protections that apply in the law enforcement context like Fourth Amendment rights and First Amendment rights. But with all of that said, there is a need for more comprehensive regulation of AI with a focus on civil rights and civil liberties that is cross-cutting across sectors. There might need to be a sector or industry-specific regulation that stems from that, but I think there's definitely a recognized need that our laws need to be updated to explicitly take into account things that are happening with the development of technology, with the use of training data, and our laws would benefit from that. So it's a yes and. Existing laws do cover a lot of AI uses, but we need more. So what you're saying is we need tweaking because when I talk to members of Congress, Isha, I mean, a lot of them say, hey, we've got the EEOC, we've got the FTC, we've got the DOJ, you know, we've got all these things on books. It's not like we are starting from scratch as far as civil liberties are concerned. But what you're saying is maybe they need to be tweaked across the board for some of these things, right, Isha? Yes. What I'm saying is that we do have those authorities. And those agencies should exercise their regulatory authority in this space. But we also do need, I think, more comprehensive laws that address like the whole pipeline of AI when it comes to where is the data sourced from? How is it used? How are algorithms built? Who tests them? Putting in place more explicit requirements, which I think also would give greater clarity to industry and the private sector. Yeah, that's a very good insight. Isha, There is a school of thought from some members of Congress that we need a separate government agency or body to regulate AI. Where do you come out on that? Do we need a separate agency for this? 
It's a very interesting question. I think that there is potential for such an agency if what it could do is concentrate expertise in the government. And if it had real resources to enforce, let's say, some sort of comprehensive law that regulates AI uses, if that agency had the resources, had the expertise, I think that could be very promising. I've heard some people discuss this as like an FDA for AI. At the same time, I don't think such an agency ever could replace the expertise and the need for regulation from agencies like the EEOC or HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, because they will always have their role to play in regulating their sector, whether that's employment or housing. And in the 21st century, there's simply no way for them to be effective regulators without also dealing with AI, given that they're going to have to deal with AI no matter what. So I think that the central agency idea has promised, but I don't think it makes sense to think of it as the only repository in the federal government doing enforcement around AI, because that's just not realistic given the sort of industry-specific agencies that exist and how ubiquitous AI use is. So they'd have to work together, I think, at a bare minimum. Now, isn't NIST kind of the repository? I mean, you talked about the expertise and stuff like that. NIST would raise their hand and say, hey, Isha, we are kind of already playing that role. So what do you think of that? NIST certainly has a very important role to play, and they propound standards. They have a lot of technical expertise, and they consult widely, I think, across the government and in the public. My understanding of the proposal of a new agency would be that it would be really an enforcement and regulatory body. So they would put forth regulations, they would put forth guidance, and they would enforce through whatever authority they were given, which goes beyond uh, my understanding of what NIST does now. Okay. So more of an enforcement agency. Exactly. Like, like the FDA. Like the FDA, as you said. Or the Federal Trade Commission. And I should mention that the FTC also has been the focus of a lot of advocacy to use its authority to regulate, for example, unfair practices that affect consumers and how that might interact with AI uses. And FTC has raised its hands and said that we are doing that and we'll continue to do that. And even SEC is talking about some of that. So as you said, it's just across the board. So we'll have to take a look at that. Isha, how can we have a policy that addresses, I mean, you talked about it, but let's say algorithmic bias and discrimination in AI, because obviously if you had some policies like that, would it stifle innovation by some of these companies that drive innovation in our country? What I would say to that is, I think the real key is, are the tools that are being developed going to replicate existing societal bias? And if they are, I don't think we should see them as innovation in a positive direction, because that's not advancing democratic norms. Certainly, you could build a tool that is very effective at discriminating against name your class of person. And maybe it's an advance in technology or science, but I don't think we would consider that the type of innovation that the United States wants to incentivize. So I think that the having safeguards built in in regulation that forces developers to think, what is the potential use case of this technology? Will it possibly be used in a context that could drive discrimination? And how do I address that potential discrimination at the outset I think would actually serve developers and innovators well, because they won't get to the end of a process and discover that a tool that they've built was anti-democratic or is contrary to the values of the country. You can do those assessments up front. And, and I would hope that developers and innovators would welcome that because then they can concentrate their efforts. We know there are so many efforts underway. You can concentrate your efforts on things that could truly be 
and advance and not replicate societal bias and, and maybe even serve democratic interests. So what you're saying is start right from the beginning thinking about these issues, not come to the end of it and say, hey, I've already spent tens of millions of dollars in doing it and something of that nature, right? That's right. And I think that serves both the developers who will have invested the tens of millions of dollars, which then, you know, once you've done that, of course, you tend to be more entrenched in the tool you've built. You might be more resistant to ideas for change. So I think it would benefit the the developers to get that feedback up front and to make that assessment up front. And certainly it would benefit all of us to make sure that tools and development have had some early stage um, assessment or review for these types of issues. Yeah. Isha, when, let's say you figure out that uh, an AI system has caused harm, in your view, who should be liable, the developer, the deployer, or the user of the system, or all of them? What are your thoughts on this? It depends. I think that it's hard to answer that question completely in the abstract because it depends on the use case. Certainly, I think that the users of a system bear um, a strong responsibility for any potential liability that arises out of that use. And that's why I think it's especially, again, regulation can be really helpful for the industry if they see it this way. If you're an employer, if you're a a landlord or a real estate company, it serves your interests to know that the AI systems that you're buying off the shelf have been vetted, have gone through a regulatory process, that you're not going to be surprised by lawsuits from people who didn't get jobs or housing that this tool you bought, which you you trusted the vendor and their representations about its accuracy or lack of bias, weren't accurate. They weren't vetted independently. So I think that end users, certainly, I also think that vendors have liability potential in many contexts. And so that also, I think, behooves transparency. And there may be contexts as well in which developers are. It, it really depends, I think, on the claim and the context in which they arise. Yeah, it really actually depends on the context. Isha, when you look at AI or you take a year ago when ChatGPT came on and then you had so many different evolutions, you had multimodal, you're now going to have potentially have AGI, et cetera. You are obviously advocating for making sure rules and regulations keep civil liberties in place. How does policy keep pace with all these changes? Let's say we have legislation now. AI is going to look, I can tell you, very different if we have a conversation a year from now or two years from now. So your advocacy and also what Capitol Hill and state governments do, how do they keep up with all of this? It's a very difficult problem. And it's a problem that's actually present with all regulation of technology, not just artificial intelligence, because surveillance technologies are constantly developing. And so how do we keep up with the law? One answer I would give is that Again, I think regulation shouldn't be tied to any particular current technological capability or whatever's in the news of the day. I think oftentimes regulation is driven by there's some new advance in a large language model or something like that where um, it's very tied maybe to the specific moment in time. I think regulation that is focused on processes that have to be followed, which can be universal, and also impact on individual rights will stand the test of time better. And what I mean by that is When you look at process, for example, right now, the state of play often seems to be, if there's not a law explicitly on point about it, we will innovate and use this technology. So law enforcement does this all the time with surveillance technology. They'll use it first and then wait for the courts to talk about whether the the use is permissible or not. Same with the private sector. It might be, we have a new tool that we can use. We'll use it, 
And then we'll see if regulators catch up and issue guidance against it. But we could flip that. We could flip that and we could say for AI uses that impact rights and liberties, we can define those. Anything that affects individuals, I'm not talking about back-end systems or things like that, but anything that affects individuals first has to go through a process. So it's not use first, figure out legality later. It's figure out legality first and then use. And I think that would really help to move us out of the cycle we're in, where it seems like regulators and civil society are always playing catch up because new things are just deployed and questions are asked second. And I think we could flip that script. Looking to make the most out of AI advancements and innovation? Visit regulatingai.org to learn more about how best to optimize the use and integration of AI and sign up for the Regulating AI newsletter to keep up to date with the latest in AI governance and regulation. So just to follow up on that, because you make a very interesting solution. In my conversations with members of Congress, House, Senate, etc., they have said, Sanjay, you're going to see incremental legislation happening over a period of time. Now, if that is the case, it kind of goes a little bit against what you are proposing. Are you in favor of incremental legislation happening? I think there's a separate political calculus on what can pass. And it may be that it's more difficult to pass comprehensive legislation. And so the incremental approach is more politically viable. But even when you talk about the incremental approach, I don't think that's inconsistent with what I'm saying, because an incremental approach could say, okay, first we're going to tackle private sector use of AI. But you could still put in place a framework that has a process, right, that would adapt to future technologies. Or you could say, we're going to address government use or law enforcement use of AI. Uh, And similarly, you could have a a strategy that that doesn't say deploy first, assess impact on rights second. So I think there are ways to be incremental while making sure that your legislation isn't obsolete in two years. Because if Congress is going to go to the work to legislate and the agencies are going to go to the work of regulating based on that legislation, you really want something durable and a durable framework. So what you're saying is you can have incremental, but make sure you cover the basis and the foundation with that too. I think that's right. And make sure you cover processes that would apply no matter what future development occur with the technology. Now, Isha, I don't know if this applies. I mean, there's a big argument, and I've asked this to many industry people, is whether to open source or not. There is two schools of thought right now. There's Facebook, IBM, which are large open source. Then you have OpenAI and Google and Microsoft that are not Does ACLU or do you have a view on open sourcing of technology? We at the ACLU haven't really focused on the open source or not open source debate. What I will say is that I think that the, we have two concerns that might bear on that. One is, of course, just the concentration of power in the hands of a few technology companies that control a lot of the technology that is going to be then used or adapted for downstream use and to the extent that that concentration makes it more difficult to have democratic accountability, that is a concern of ours. And then the other concern is just that open source not be used as a replacement for other processes that have to happen. So just because something is open source doesn't automatically mean it doesn't cause harm, doesn't automatically satisfy transparency requirements or audit requirements from third parties or ensure that that a tool is free from bias or the training data was properly collected. 
open source might help address the first problem of concentration, but I would also caution that open source is not a panacea for the harms of AI. We still have to do the work to make sure that these tools pass muster. So you brought up a point about concentration. So I want to kind of get your views because that's a big concern for a lot of people that if you look at in terms of the witnesses and the people that are showing up for a lot of these hearings, et cetera, they're primarily from these large AI companies, et cetera. And you said that's a, a concern and that's a concern to a lot of people where we want to make sure every stakeholder has a voice. We don't want the social media experiment to happen here. So what are you doing about it and what are your thoughts to make sure that it doesn't end up in these three, four big companies? The social media example is a good one because I think our interest in uh, and concern about the concentration of power first arose from the social media. The fact that essentially the modern public square where people can debate and communicate is controlled by a handful of corporate actors. And that has a real impact on freedom of speech. It may not raise constitutional or First Amendment issues because it's not the government, but the choices of the platforms to allow speech or to disallow speech have a huge impact on the discourse. And I think that our interest in concentration would be similarly motivated by the concern of what it means for rights. Um, so, for example, if you've got a concentration of power and it means that there's less competitive pressure to bake in privacy by default or to be more transparent with consumers about the sources of data or the types of tools that are being used, that's a concern. And that's something that regulation can address because regulation, it can either address the concentration of power, but it, it can also mandate transparency. It can mandate information provided to users who are affected by AI tools. So again, I, I think the concern with concentration for us would be how much does it make it difficult for there to be democratic accountability writ large because the information is just concentrated in the hands of a few entities that have a lot of power. And then also just how much does that prevent transparency for the users because there's no competition. Nobody needs to compete on the aspect of we're, we're doing better in protecting your rights because uh, there's essentially this concentrated power. So if a company is using AI, Isha, should they have a legal duty to report that they're using AI, in your view? In contexts that impact individuals, yes. I think that the examples that we always point to are if someone's applying for a job and there's a, a screening tool or there's an interview tool or there's some system that's being used behind the scenes, people should be told about that. They should, they should know. There's a few important reasons for that. And one of them is simply people are entitled to know whether it's a human making a decision about them or whether they're being rejected automatically at a certain stage. But also there may be errors, known errors in the system being used or known errors that Someone knows, for example, my data has this mistaken record, and that's probably being considered by your AI tool. And so I would like you to know that if you're using this tool, there's probably errors that need to be corrected. And then the third thing is it allows, for example, people with disabilities to request accommodations. Because you might have AI tools that screen interviewees' videos for physical conditions or other things. And as offensive as we might find that in general, there could be people where that's a real violation of disability laws to take into account affect or physical appearance or voice in certain ways. And so if people know that there's a, an automated tool being used, they actually have the opportunity to ask for an accommodation that's appropriate for them. So that's just one example in the employment context. But I think highlighting that where we're talking about individuals, similarly, if you apply for a government benefit, 
we can see the value in being told, look, your benefit eligibility has been determined by this tool. And this is what factors we take into account. It's just a basic due process principle in our society. So you're saying when it is interfacing with people directly that we should have some kind of a disclosure? Yes. Well, both interfacing with people directly, but I also think, you know, there are contexts where you may not have the direct interface, but then the public should be told generally. So let's say there's a risk scoring tool that tells you this law enforcement department uses this risk scoring tool. And if you score higher than this, you're likely to get a visit from us or something or, or in the child welfare context. If some families are screened in using automated tools and they'll get a visit from uh, an officer, I think it's important. You may not have the one-on-one necessarily because people often don't know if they're being investigated if nothing comes of it. But revealing to the public in general allows for public accountability to say, is this a tool that we trust? Do we think this is advancing anything? Uh, Is it reliable? Is it something that we want our local law enforcement to be using? Yeah, that's a great point. Isha, as you've seen that EU has passed the AI Act, they're not waiting for the rest of the world. Do you think AI regulation should be a global kind of situation or should it be regional? Thoughts on that? It's a good question. One of the challenges to truly global regulation is that the legal environment in, in every country is different. So just to give one example, in the United States, we have very strong First Amendment rights which might influence any regulation of AI that has to impact speech and and particularly large language models. And that context doesn't necessarily exist in the EU. But I think that there is a role for sort of global bodies or multinational bodies to put forth a set of principles. And there are many commonalities. And certainly when we look at the EU's regulatory efforts, just so many similar issues arise, the need for independent audits, bias, issues, due process issues, that I think that there's a space for common ground, common principles, and lessons learned from each other. But given the different contexts and legal and regulatory environments in each country, I think right now, it makes sense that a country like the United States or a block like the EU take those principles and then adapt them to legislation that makes sense for their context. Because we're talking about technology that is the same used around the world, maybe used in different contexts or adapted differently, but the lessons learned from regulating the technology definitely apply across jurisdictions. That makes sense. Isha, final question for you. been very helpful to us and some great insights. We have an election coming up next year, a presidential election in this country, Senate, House, etc. And there are some predictions that it's going to be unlike any election we've seen with deep fakes and all those other things. Thoughts, views on this? Because You know, when we talk about civil liberties, that also gets impacted. Elections matter, right? Certainly they do. And at the ACLU, the focus we've had is making sure that harmful uses of AI are rooted out and dealt with, but also making sure that panic over AI doesn't lead to regulation in ways that stifles free speech. And that's a concern we have. And I would say, for example, concerns about deep fakes or false political speech predate AI. Now, AI may turbocharge them. I certainly understand those concerns that AI could make it worse, but those concerns have long existed. There are a lot of, rightly so, a lot of First Amendment protections for political rhetoric and speech that was heated in the moment of debate. And I think regulation properly focuses on the narrow category of speech that causes concrete harm. So we're talking about, for example, people who knowingly give false information about voting. They tell people the wrong date and time, mislead people. 
uh, information that constitutes fraud, maybe collecting money from people for a, a political campaign that's not real, just really focusing on those particular harms which have long existed, uh, I think will serve us well and will be a good focus for regulators because I think there can be a tendency to just throw up your hands and say, there's just a lot of junk out there. How can we just clamp down on all of this speech full stop and, and just try to deal with it when I think that that would be a mistake? But there are targeted regulations that can really help. There are several bills right now in Congress, as you know, on deep fakes, etc. So you don't think we should go down that path? Including the EO by President Biden also addressed this in some shape or form too. Yes, the EO, I think, it focused on government authentication and verification of information. And, and by the way, I think that those are good initiatives. He talked about watermarking. Yes, yes, exactly. There are good initiatives out there, I think, to promote counter-information, crowdsourcing, how to authenticate information. I, I think the EO also may potentially apply to private sector speech, and that's where I think the First Amendment will kick in. So w- without looking at specific text, I don't want to say one would pass muster or the, or, or the other would not, just that we would urge regulators, when you are looking to regulate political speech, take a scalpel, Often the worst harms can be addressed that way, recognizing that a lot of times there's political discourse out there that not even relying on AI might be tempting to be regulated, but is protected by the First Amendment. So you're saying be careful. Yes, take some action, but be very careful to protect our First Amendment rights also. Yes, exactly. That, And again, I don't know that the harms are specifically about using AI to commit fraud versus just committing fraud, right? Or misleading people about election information. So if you're not focused so much on the technology, but you're focused on the particular harm to be regulated, I think that's the best approach to take. That's uh, very helpful. Isha, this has been great to get your insights. Thank you so much for the time, as well as giving us some real deep insights from the ACLU. Thank you for uh, being with us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to the Regulating AI Innovate Responsibly podcast. You'll find links in the show notes to any resources mentioned on the show. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and leave us a five-star review.